How many of you have heard the statement, work like it all depends on you, pray like it all depends on God? Yep, I, I could be wrong. I, I don't feel like you can be in any church for any length of time without hearing that said at some point. It seems to be one of those things that is said regularly in pulpits that I've ever been a part of or that I've been around. I don't know who originally said it, where it came from, but it is a statement meant to prompt us to both work and pray. But as you think of that statement, I, I believe there are four responses that we can have or four ways of reacting in relation to that statement. So you could be the person who doesn't work and doesn't pray. You can be the person who works but doesn't pray. You could be the person who doesn't work but you pray. Or you could be the person who both works and prays. What kind of Christian are you tonight? How would you fall in that spectrum related to both working and praying? Regardless of how you might interpret a statement like, work like it depends on you, pray like it depends on God, the truth is that doing one without the other lacks effectiveness. Would you agree with that? If you do the work, but you don't pray, I would think your effectiveness will be limited. In the same way, if you pray, but never participate in the work, your effectiveness will also be limited in that way. As we think about these areas, I want to challenge you specifically in the area of prayer. And to do that, I'll ask you to join me in Jeremiah 33. And as you're turning there, we'll consider the first three verses of Jeremiah 33. The Bible declares in Jeremiah 33, we find the prophet in prison, and he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 30 through 33 these chapters are often referred to within the book of Jeremiah as the book of consolation. When you think about Jeremiah the prophet, what is something that almost immediately comes to mind about him? He was known as the weeping prophet. One of the books that he penned was a book by the name of Lamentations. Just take the first part of the word lament and you get a good picture of what lamentations is all about. It is the 
lamenting of the prophet Jeremiah over the condition of Israel. And the reality is, even as you read the book of Jeremiah, you find a prophet who did the work of God. He preached the message of God. He did the work as a man of God, and yet he was often weeping, lamenting, discouraged over the condition of the people. But these four chapters are titled within the book of Jeremiah as a whole as the book of consolation because though Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, these four chapters stress God who makes all things new. They describe the glory of the dawning of a new day for the people of Israel. Jeremiah was used by God to prophesy the fall of Israel to Babylon, Judah specifically, and he was imprisoned for it. He went to King Zedekiah and said, here's what's going to happen. Babylon is going to come. They're going to encircle Jerusalem, and Judah is going to fall. And because of that, King Zedekiah put Jeremiah in prison. Can you, can you believe that? The people of God... The nation that God had chosen imprisoning the man of God for preaching the word of God. We did this game with our children a few nights ago. It was a Bible trivia game, and it had questions followed by multiple choice answers. And one of the questions during the Bible trivia game was, what city was known for killing the prophets? And it had some that were actually countries rather than cities, but of course Jerusalem was among the list. And whichever one of my children, that was their question, they chose correctly. It was Jerusalem. Do you remember Jesus in Luke 14? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. You wouldn't guess that about God's people, the nation, but what a sad place they were in. But here, in these four chapters, Jeremiah speaks of the redemption, the reconciliation, the regeneration, and the restoration of Israel. And it was while he was in prison, considering the future captivity and regathering of Israel, that God came to Jeremiah with a message of encouragement, a message of hope for his prophet. And it's found within that exhortation of verse number three. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. For a few moments, consider this message of encouragement to pray from the Lord. And as we do, I want to encourage you with that thought to pray like everything depends on God. Let me ask you right now to just do a brief evaluation of your prayer life. Do you have a prayer life? It's no surprise to you that Jesus, when his disciples spoke to him about prayer, Jesus did not, did not question whether or not his 
followers would pray, but when they would pray. He didn't say, if you pray, pray like this. He said, when you pray. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a prayer life should be a part of your life. And if it is, evaluate it. Could you say today that when you pray, every time you pray, for everything that you pray, that you pray like it all depends on God. Is that kind of dependency, urgency, characteristic in your prayer life? And as we look at this passage in Jeremiah 33 and, and look at our prayer lives, Number one, consider the personal nature of prayer. The personal nature of prayer. And I believe there are two aspects of this thought that are shown in the text. You can see here that God's message was relational. God's message was relational. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? When you think of a prophet, in God's word coming to the prophet, you often think of God's word coming to the prophet so that he can do what with God's word? Share it. Give it to someone else. This is God's word coming to the prophet, but it's coming to the prophet to take it to someone else. But when you look at verse number one, you find that God's word came to Jeremiah and look at the circumstances surrounding it, his experience. Where was Jeremiah? He was in prison. This was a dark and difficult time for Jeremiah. He had been called by God. Do you remember there was a time when Jeremiah even attempted in a way to give up God's call for his life? Do you remember that? He wanted to give away, if you will, his purpose and his mission to be God's man to carry God's message to God's people but he said God's word was in him like a, a fire burning in his bones and he could not help but do what God gave him to do and this now here he is in prison because of preaching the word of God and God's message comes to him again but notice God's message came to Jeremiah not here so that he could give it to someone else. God's message came to Jeremiah. For whom? For Jeremiah. It was God's message to Jeremiah, but it was also God's message for Jeremiah. And here specifically, it was God's message to him to pray. As we study the word of God, we find many exhortations to prayer, and it would do us good to recognize the personal nature of each one it's easy isn't it to say that well yes god desires christians to pray it's easy to say yes god desires the church to pray but how much more challenging it is to each of us personally when we say it this way god wants me to pray god's calling me to pray and friend notice he's not just calling upon the prophet the man of god the preacher to prayer he's not just calling on men to pray just he is is he is not just calling upon women to pray 
He is not calling upon husbands and fathers to pray alone, just as he's not calling only wives and mothers to pray. He is calling each one of us to prayer. And by the way, that in and of itself teaches you something about the nature of prayer. Prayer itself is relational. It's not just something we do. It's not just a religious activity to perform. It is about a relationship with your maker, with God. God's message was relational, but notice if you would, God's message was relevant. Again, where was Jeremiah? He's in prison. This is a dark and difficult time of his life. The, the enemy is bearing down. At the time, what Jeremiah had preached to God's people was coming true. The Babylonian army is coming, and they are, they are encircling Jerusalem. They are, they are shutting up, besieging Jerusalem. And all the while, the man of God is in prison as this dark and difficult day for God's people is coming. And God spoke to Jeremiah where he was. And Jeremiah needed to call upon God from where he was. Do you understand today that God can speak to you wherever you are? Wherever you may find yourself in life, in whatever situation you may find yourself, God can speak to you right where you are. And the opposite is also true. You can speak to God from wherever you are. And I'm not just talking about a geographic location. Wherever you find yourself in life, in whatever situation you find yourself, in whatever path you're on, whatever your relationship to God may currently look like, whatever it is and wherever you are, you can call out to God. You might be in prison today, and I'm not talking a literal prison with bars and chains you might be in a prison without bars. You might be in a place in life where you feel stuck, where you feel enslaved, where you are in a dark, in a difficult place. You may be in a place in life where it's barren, it's dry, it's dusty, and you're like the psalmist crying out just for that water to parch your soul your soul to give drink to your soul you may be in that place in life where it is a dry spiritual season have you ever been in a place like that but wherever you are that is exactly the place where you should call out to god from any where any time for any reason god can speak to you and you can speak to god Prayer has a very personal and relational nature. Would you notice, secondly, that you need to consider the persistent nature of prayer? This may not jump off the pages to you when you just consider Jeremiah 33. But it's interesting, if you look back to Jeremiah 32, you find that in Jeremiah 32, God's word had come to Jeremiah there. And it's obvious when you look at chapter 33, verse 1, because it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time. 
God had already spoken to Jeremiah. And interestingly enough, if you look at Jeremiah 32, 16 through 25, you know what you find going on? Jeremiah was praying. God had spoken to him. God had given him a message. And in those verses, Jeremiah is crying out to God. Verse 17 begins, or, or the end of verse 16 says, I prayed unto the Lord saying, verse 17, all Lord God. And he's crying out to God, giving God praise for being the creator of the earth. How he had showed loving kindness. He's calling upon the character and remembering the character of God who is merciful, who does not visit the children for the father's iniquity and so on. He's mighty. He's the Lord of hosts. He's great in counsel, mighty in work. And he goes on and on. Jeremiah has just concluded a season of prayer. And what does God do in chapter 33? Jeremiah you need to pray. God, I've just concluded a season of prayer. Jeremiah, call on me. God, don't you recall, I just talked with you about this. God, don't you remember the praise I just gave you? Don't you remember the request that I laid out before you? Jeremiah, call unto me. God was calling Jeremiah right back to an attitude of and action of praying Shortly after he had concluded a season of prayer. You've experienced this in your life. I know that you have. There have been times that you've had prayer needs that you've been praying for for what seemed like an eternity. You've been praying for something for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And you've not experienced the answer to your prayer. Keep praying. Some of you are, have been praying for something for a long time. You've become weary in well-doing. And you've fainted. In that context, what that means is you were praying. You were doing the right thing. You were doing good. And you were praying for that specific need, that specific request, that specific person Day after day after day, you were bringing that need before the Lord, and you grew weary, and you fainted. You've stopped praying for that, even though you didn't see the answer. Even though God didn't come to you like he did Paul and say, Paul, stop praying for that. You've not had that from the Lord, but you've fainted, you've given up, you've stopped praying. Keep praying. Some of you have lost heart and you've lost hope. And so you've just given up on praying. Keep praying. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus was about to tell a parable, and Luke tells us the reason. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. If Paul were to write to us about prayer in Galatians, he'd say, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. And there, there may not be an area of your walk with God, your spiritual life of which that is more true than prayer. How easy it is 
to grow weary and to give up to faint how easy it is to give up on that that relational nature of prayer and just talk to God about it and and give up but Jesus says no always pray don't faint don't give up we should be like that little three-year-old boy that Paul Harvey told about you remember Paul Harvey don't you he was the one that told the rest of the story wasn't he he once told about a three-year-old boy who went to the grocery store with his mother and the mother had to go to get something in the aisle where the cookies were but before they even went in mom knew what would happen and she told her son don't ask for cookies you're not going to get them don't even ask so she put him in the car and she began going down the aisles getting everything she needed and he was doing fine until they got to the section where the cookies were and he saw his favorite chocolate chip cookies and he looked at his mother and said mom can i have some chocolate chip cookies and you know what mom said don't you I told you don't even ask. No, you can't have chocolate chip cookies. So the son backed off. But they continued down the aisles and mom found to her great chagrin that she had to go back to the aisle where the cookies were. And you know what happened, don't you? That three-year-old boy wasn't going to give up. Mom, can I please have some chocolate chip cookies? She said, I told you you can't have any. Now sit down and be quiet. Finally, they were approaching the checkout lane. The last hope for this little boy. And he began crying out to, her mother, to his mother. He knew this was his last chance, so he stood up from the, the, the cart seat and shouted at the top of his lungs, in the name of Jesus, may I have some chocolate chip cookies? There were other people in the grocery store and they just laughed. And though his mother was not interested due to the generosity of other shoppers and them getting the entertainment in the grocery store the boy and his mother left with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies do you know we have a god who answers prayer like that i want to ask you thirdly to consider the productive nature of prayer and the first part of that you need to understand is this god responds let me ask you to think about what may seem an obvious or even a silly question. To whom do you pray? You say, well, I, I pray to God, of course. But do you really consider and meditate on the nature of who God is when you pray? Jesus taught us to pray and he began with what in the model prayer? Our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name is that the way you approach prayer with a recognition of more than just i'm i'm praying to god I, i'm praying to the one the bible tells me about i'm praying to the creator do you really understand and meditate on the nature of who god is 
When you read verse 2 of Jeremiah 33, what we're finding here is the qualification of God's ability to answer prayer. Jeremiah 33, 2 again says, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Notice three times, Lord in all capital letters, that name for God, Yahweh. Sometimes we refer to it as Jehovah. He is that God who, who is self-existent, who exists apart from any dependence on anyone or anything. He is the God who was, is, and always will be. He is the God who exists outside of time. We could say that he is the I am, whether we're talking past, present, or future, because he exists outside of time. He exists apart from needing anything from anyone or anything else for his existence, for his nature, for his character. And so when we talk about this God, he's reminding us here that he is the one who made and established the promise and that he can fulfill it. That's really the context of what he's saying to Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah concerned about in chapter 32? If you step back there, what you find, Jeremiah was concerned in the midst of God's people being defeated and being taken captive. Jeremiah was concerned with the covenant. God, you've made a covenant with us. And God, as he's encouraging Jeremiah to pray, is saying, Jeremiah, I'm the one who made the covenant. I'm the one who formed it, and I will do it. I'll keep my promise. I, I will fulfill my word. And friends, this is true of every one of God's promises, and including the one he was about to make to Jeremiah. You recognize, don't you, that God made a promise to Jeremiah. What was that promise? Verse 3, call unto me, and I will what? Answer thee. Jeremiah, call. I'll answer. You don't have to question that. I'll hear. I'll respond. And I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not praise God tonight that we have a God who does great and mighty things great means exactly what you would think it would mighty interestingly enough we we might think of this word as powerful but that's not actually the meaning of the word here it translates a Hebrew word that describes that which is inaccessible in fact, this word is often used early in the Old Testament through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy to describe the cities of the promised land that Israel was going to go into. When the spies described the cities as gray and walled, what were they saying? The cities are inaccessible. We can't get through the wall. We can't get over the wall. We can't get around the wall. They were saying that this land, these cities were humanly impossible to get into, humanly impossible to defeat, humanly impossible to overthrow. And so when God says, I will do great and mighty things, God is saying to Jeremiah, I can do that which is beyond what humans consider the realm of possibility or knowledge we have 
the, a God of the impossible. Take a moment and remember who it is that responds to prayer. Paul said it probably the best in the scripture in Ephesians 3 when he said, Now unto him that is able to do what? Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Do you pray to God like that? I've asked you to consider this question before, and I think it's convicting. It is to me. If your God were actually measured by what you ask him to do, how small or how big would your God be? If your God were actually limited by what you ask of him, how small or how big would your God be? I thank God tonight that he's not limited by the measure of my small prayers. Instead, he is a God who does exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He is a God who can do beyond the realm of what we would consider possible or what we can even know. That is our God. He responds, and notice, not only does he respond, but he reveals when you look at verse number three, God here is revealing his heart for Jeremiah and the people of God. We began this series a couple of weeks ago by looking at Jeremiah 21, where God called upon Jeremiah to tell the people to seek him, to, to, to look for him, to search for him with all their heart. But that began with this promise, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. This is within the context of, of captivity, but God bringing the people back, and now he's giving Jeremiah that encouragement. And in verse 12 of Jeremiah 29, he said, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. They're going to go into captivity. They're going to be overthrown by enemies. They're going to be taken captive into a foreign heathen land. But God knew that there would come a day and a time when his people in that situation would call upon him, would pray to him, and he promised, he committed himself, I will hearken, I'll hear, I'll respond. He revealed his heart for his people. He wanted to help them. He wanted to act on their behalf. But he made calling upon him the prerequisite to it, didn't he? To lending his aid in that specific context. And I have to wonder for you and me how often God doesn't do in responding and revealing because we don't fulfill the prerequisite. Listen again to a familiar text in James chapter 5. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them 
pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. It yields much. It benefits and advantages the people of God and the church of God. I believe work and prayer are connected. Which type of Christian are you? As you evaluate your prayer life, do you truly pray like everything depends on God? It speaks of dependency. It speaks of urgency. It speaks of what James 5, 16 spoke of, effectual, fervent prayer. May we approach God not with a, not with a, a casual or a, well, this is just an activity that we do. May we not approach him with that, but may we approach him with boldness like we are coming to the throne of grace. Effectually and fervently. The challenge tonight is to commit to truly be one who prays like everything depends on God. It's relational, and God has committed himself to responding to the prayer of his people when they cry out to him. I was encouraged shortly before church to receive a, an email from our um, digital evangelist, Dan Bergman. Dan shared that uh, recently his brother-in-law encouraged him to create and post a video as that's what he does, but specifically on the topic of health. So Dan did that. He created a video and posted it about a week ago. And in one week, that video has had nearly 800,000 views just on Instagram alone. And he's had over 100 people reach out to him asking the question, what do I need to do to be saved? And do you know what Dan is asking people to do in an update video sharing about that? What do you think he's asking people to do? Pray. Pray. It, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? We are to be people of prayer. Do you remember Jesus when he went to the temple? He was, he was upset by the market people there in the courtyard of the temple because he wanted his father's house to be known as a house of what? Prayer. We are to be people of prayer. Can I challenge you tonight? Evaluate your prayer life and determined to be someone who always prays at every time for everything you pray for, like someone who believes that prayer is everything depends on you. I'm going to exemplify my dependency, the urgency of this, even in the way that I approach and come to God and pray. And I believe that God will do, as he said for Jeremiah, he would call upon me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things.
which thou knowest not.